Okay, well, good morning to you all. I'm glad to be with you. What a joy it's been for us to join you at your missions conference and again to be able to share God's word with you. Uh, the highlight of my trip this weekend was really last night. It was at McDonald's. <laughs> it was there where we spent a couple of hours counseling Malachi. And Pastor brought his kids, his two kids there, and, uh, and you know, you get to know a lot about your pastor when you just talk to his kids. And uh, there we were talking to Malachi, Pastor Gus and I, and, and there's Hernan sitting nervously, sitting in his chair, wondering what Malachi is going to come up with next. Uh, but it was all good, and uh, we left the evening with Malachi saying, boy, this was deep, that was deep. And, uh, and so he went back, back home and told his mother, woke up and said, Mom, my life has been changed. And so uh, if we've just ministered to Malachi, it was wonderful. Uh, but we're just thankful to be with you, and it's good to see everybody here. Truly, you know, a good shepherd has played a, a really uh, big role in my spiritual life. Well, we have come up here for your leadership conference uh, many times, and God spoke to me sitting in the pews, and, and it's just been a wonderful experience. And I just want to encourage you just to keep going. Just keep going. Uh, you, you might have uh, hit a bit of a, uh, a speed bump in the road, but just keep going. Uh, that shouldn't define you. Just keep going. And, uh, you know, we, we had our troubles a few years ago, but uh, by the grace of God, we are today far greater than what we were before. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could imagine or think, according to his power that worketh in us. You know, it's God's power. And it's not about the work of man. It's about God's great power. And I pray that we would be focusing our eyes upon the Lord and asking him to bless, bless this morning. An intern was asked by his pastor to get up and preach a message. This intern was young. He wasn't that experienced in preaching. And, and so he counted it to be a great privilege and an honor to get up and preach. So he studied all week. I mean, he begged God for a, for a message. Uh, he was there. He wrote his notes out. He, he kind of labored over it, wanted to know what he had to say and and now when the day came, that Sunday morning, the, the pastor introduced him, this young man got up behind the pulpit, and when he saw everybody in the crowd, something happened. He, his eyes began to twitch. His hands began to shake. His knees were knocking against each other. And, and he was so nervous, he, he, he said, do you know what I'm going to speak about today? And everybody in the congregation just eagerly waiting to hear what, what the message would be. And they, they honestly just looked at him and said, no, they were shaking their heads. And he looked at them and he said, well, neither do I. And he just ran out. <laughs> well, the pastor ran after him and said, bro, like, you could do better than that. You know, you've studied hard. You can do really well. Just come back, come back in, have another go. So he comes back in, trying to be encouraged and stands up in front of the congregation behind the pulpit, and once again, he looks at their faces, and his eyes begin to twitch again, and his hands are shaking. He couldn't even find the place in the Bible, and his knees were going weak at him, and, and then he said, do, 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 do you know what I'm going to preach about today? And the congregation now being smart, they all said, yeah, we do. And then he goes, well, good, I'm glad you know, because I don't have to preach it anymore, and he ran out. <laughs> Well, the preacher ran after him and said, bro, like, come on, you can do better than this. Come on, come back in here and just do a great job. The Lord is with you. So he gets encouraged and stands up in the pulpit again and, and looks at the faces of the people and, 
And again, his eyes begin to twitch again. His voice is breaking, his hands are shaking, his legs are knocking, and he goes, do you you know what I'm going to preach to you today? And now the the congregation is getting really smart. Half on one side said yes, and the other side, who know, go tell them that don't know. (laughs) And so he ran out, and the pastor came and said, that was the best message we've ever heard. And truly, that is the essence, isn't it? We who know need to tell those who don't know. And that's what church is all about. Church is all about going out from here, telling those who don't know the story and the message of the gospel. And I think that's what the Lord wants us to do. That's what the Lord's mission for the church in our age. You know, sometimes we hear stories about great works that God did in the past. We hear about great revivals in other countries, and we wonder, well, when is it our turn? You ever thought about that? When is it my turn? Have we missed it? Am I living in an age today where I've missed revival? Ask yourself that question. Do I live in an age today? Am I in church today in a time or a season where we have missed revival? And unfortunately, many of us come with that defeated attitude into church, thinking, well, we're just going to do it, we're just going to wait. But listen, revival starts in our hearts, individually. If you want to see a great movement of God in your church, it has to start in your heart and in my heart. That's where it begins. Sometimes we're praying for revival. You know what we're praying for? God, would you send revival to change people? But we're not praying, God, change me. It's got to start with me. It's got to start with you. And that the reason why we don't see a great movement because not many of us are humbling ourselves and begging God to change us because we think we're okay. Now, that will help us this morning as we look in the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 1, as it was read to us. Uh, this was a time period, uh, as you would know, the children of Israel had rebelled. They were disobedient to the Lord. Right? Uh, You know the story. Uh, They began to intermingle with the neighboring nations. They gave their sons and daughters away. And so uh, with that happened, uh, uh, with this happening, they brought in their idol worship, their pagan worship. And little by little, their hearts were drawn away from God. You know, you never wake up one day and say, you know, today I've had enough. Today I no longer want to go to church. Today I no longer want to be a Christian. You know, it never happens that way. You know what happens? It's little by little. Yeah, a little bit of compromise here, a little bit there, a little bit of disobedience here. And, uh, and then we seem to think we're getting away with it. And because I'm getting away with it, I can do a little bit more of it. And what ends up happening is our heart is drawn away by our own lusts. And we are no longer where we used to be. You know, God uses the Holy Spirit to change us to be more like Christ. And the devil uses the world to change us to be more like the world. Right? And it's that tug of war. You make that choice every day. You make that choice of to whom you're going to listen to, to whom you're going to give yourself over to. Will you choose daily to give yourself to the Spirit of God who will transform and change your life to be more like Jesus Christ? Or will you live for yourself and live for the things of this world and sooner or later you will become just like the world? You say, but I'm saved. Yeah, amen. I'm grateful for our salvation I'm grateful that my salvation is not dependent upon my works. How many people say amen to that? Yeah, thankful that I'm saved by the blood and by the grace of God. He's the one who saved me. 
But let me tell you, living a life as a Christian is determined by whom we lean ourselves onto. Are you lean upon yourself and, and uh, doing your own desires? You're going to end up like the world. You see, you, you're not freed from your flesh yet. I'm looking forward to that day when I don't have to wrestle with this flesh. I'm looking forward to that day when the Lord will give me a new body, one that I don't have to, you know, struggle with. You know, uh, there was a, a man who uh, was so, you know, on a Sunday morning, uh, he just didn't want to get out of bed. And his, his wife said to him, honey, you better get out of bed. We'll go to church. He goes, no, not for me, not today. And he, she goes, but honey, you've got to go to church. He says, why do I need to go to church? She goes, because you're the pastor. <laughs> you know, often, often we think that, you know, as pastors and spiritual leaders, you know, every Sunday we're just jumping out of bed and just ready to come to church. Let me tell you, it's not that way. We are just like you, flesh and blood. We struggle. We have our own struggles. But really, it, determined, it, it all is determined by whom we choose to live for, whom do we give ourselves over to. And I want to encourage you today that God is still able to do a great work, even in this age, in this time, in this town, in this season, in this year, in this church, in your family, in your life. God is still able to do a great work. Don't give up on what God can do. Don't give up on what God can do. God can still do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. But in this uh, period of time where Ezra was, uh, Ezra writes here, chapters 1 to 6, he just recounts to us uh, the first uh, 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 return of, from captivity uh, back to Jerusalem, back to Judah. Uh, once you get to Ezra chapter 7, uh, that's where Ezra was really at that time. So the first six chapters is just recollecting history of what took place. I want you to know that God used Nebuchadnezzar to chastise and to take his people into captivity because they were disobedient. He came in three stages in 606 BC, 597 BC, and 587 BC, and he took people back to, uh, back to Babylon. He took the elite. Uh, you'll find that, you know, the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, they were part of the first uh, um, uh, captivity that they took, it, he took the best and, uh, and trained them. And, uh, and so gradually he conquered and at the end, you know, decimated the temple. There was no longer a temple worship. Uh, they were all taken into captivity. See, 150 years before that, the Assyrians had taken the northern kingdom. You know about that. They were disobedient first and God brought the Assyrians and they wiped them out. And you know what's interesting? Uh, Judah has been the only one that came back out of captivity. Do you know the northern kingdoms were lost completely? They never had a comeback. I'll give you another interesting fact, that, that since, uh, since that time, 606 BC, the children of Israel have never had their own king reign on them. Just think about that. Yeah, they, they were God's people. Uh, they, they went from a theocracy to a monarchy, uh, through Saul and then David and, and so many other kings. But uh, in their disobedience, uh, God wiped that kingdom out, but made a promise to David that out of his seed, one shall reign forever. You know who that is. Thank God for his promises, amen? God will always keep his promises. God made a promise to them that they were going to go into captivity. And Jeremiah writes, it says, your captivity shall be for 70 years, 70 years. And when you go there, I want you to plant your fields. I want you to build your houses. I want you to make life there in Babylon. You know, God is a gracious God. I'm thankful that uh, even when he's really uh, chastising, he's still a merciful God. Aren't you glad? I'm glad, that, you know, God does not, uh, God does not chastise us out of anger, but out of love. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. 
glad that God chastens out of love, not out of anger. Sometimes we, you know, discipline our kids out of anger, don't we? You know, I sometimes have to hold myself back when uh, I'm like really infuriated by what my kids have done and, and I just want to come down on them really hard. I had to remember, well, you know, the Lord has been gracious to you. Maybe you need to learn to be gracious towards your kids. Maybe we need to learn to be gracious with one another. God is kind and gracious, and he never forgets his people. And so uh, Isaiah even prophesies in Isaiah chapter 48, I believe. uh, He writes, uh, 44, Isaiah 44, verse 28, uh, Isaiah foretells something, something like 150 years before this takes place, that Cyrus will bring the captivity, will return people back to to Judah. You know, isn't our God a wonderful God? Yeah, some people, these liberals will say to you, no, those sections of Isaiah cannot be true because they were written after the exilic period. Like, nobody could foretell that this person will come on the scene and, and it'll happen exactly what, what God said. You know, I believe the word of God just the way it is. And uh, if the Lord said it, and uh, said it 150 years before the, the event takes place, I, I take God for his word. Listen, there are some things that are still going to come. There are some prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. And we live in an age where we're seeing some of the signals, some of the signs of it. But God will fulfill his word completely. He said, not a jot, not a tittle shall pass, but his word will always accomplish it. It will always fulfill what he has set it out to do. Amen. And so after 70 years, here comes Cyrus on the... On the scene, you know the story, uh, how they conquered uh, Babylon, how, how they entered into the city, how, how they took it over, how they killed uh, Belshazzar at that time, and and they, and they took over the kingdom and began to reign. Now, God worked through the circumstances of those kingdoms. You know, sometimes we sit and wonder about politics, about leaders. We wonder. Man, if this leader comes on the scene, wonder how life is going to change. You know, we just had our, our uh, uh, elections for the state uh, last night, and uh, it was turned over to a Labour Party, and we're sitting there wondering what agenda do they have, uh, you know, how they're going to mess up the state for us, bringing out all this liberal thinking through our schools, and, you know, all the way. And we, we can sit there and worry about all of that, but let me tell you, God is not sitting in heaven wondering what's going to happen. He's not wringing his hands thinking, oh, what, what's going to happen in New South Wales or what's going to happen in Australia? You see, the Lord has already worked it all out. He will work through the affairs of men. He will bring glory to himself. You know, sometimes we might go through difficulty and we're, we're just asking God, why, 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 why? But God is doing the work in us. God is doing the work in us. And so seven years pass by and here is Cyrus on the throne And uh, now Cyrus has a different philosophy in how he governs his kingdoms. Whereas uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians uh, would take people out of their land and bring them into Babylon and make them serve there, uh, Cyrus had a different idea. He said, you know what? What we should really be doing is sending people back into their nations and uh, we'll still rule over them, but we'll let them worship their own gods and have their their liberty and religious freedom, uh, but we will still have governance over them. You know, we'll send the governor who, who will report to us. You see, God can change a tide, right? You believe that? God can still change a tide. He's the one who raises a nation. He puts down a nation. And you know that, uh, that righteousness exalts a nation. That's what the Bible says. But sin brings about reproach. And I think it's very important that we understand the time that we're living in and really sanctify ourselves because in this day of age that we live in, people need to see Christians who are Christ-like. You understand? Not denomination-like, 
I'm not asking you to be a Baptist. I'm asking you to be like Jesus Christ. And that's what we need today. We need to be people in this country, in this state, to be effective lights into this world as Jesus is. And he would live through us and we could be a help and a blessing to our country. Last night, uh, I asked you a couple of questions. I asked you, would you allow God to give you purpose? If you were here last night, I I asked you if you would uh, allow God to give you a new perspective. Whether you would change your priority in life. Whether you'd be willing to shoulder the burden and enter into labor with one another to see the advancement of the gospel locally and abroad, across the street and across the world. I wonder what you thought about your involvement. I wonder whether you sit today and thinking, what is my part in all of this? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, if God gives you breath, God gives you life, God gives you health, God gives you the means, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to rise up and you're going to say, Lord, use me. Lord, with whatever capacity, help me. I give myself over to you. I give you my life. I give you my family. I give you my resources. I give you my business. I give you my job. I give you whatever I have, God, I'm going to give it to you. I wonder how many of us would be willing to do that or are we all very insecure? It's mine. I did it. I got to this level. I bought this house. I achieved these goals. You know, the funny thing is, we forget the hand that fed us. We easily forget the hand that fed us. You know, David, when he was preparing for the building of the temple, uh, he acknowledged one thing. He said that after giving all, he had set aside, set aside treasures uh, for the building of the temple that he gave out of his own substance to give to the Lord. And then he says these words, he says, Lord, it is out of thine hand we give thee back. Did you know that? Did you know that what you hold in your possessions is because God lent it to you? He gave it to you to steward it. Well, what are you going to do with it? Well, what are you going to do with your life? Well, what are you going to do with your time? Well, what are you going to do with your children? Well, what are you going to do with the opportunities that God gives you? Well, in Ezra chapter 1, we find Cyrus makes a decree and he says these words. He said, uh, as it was fulfilled by the, by, the, uh, by the Lord, stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. You know, when they put it in writing, it became law. It became law. And he said these words, Thus said Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. I find that amazing, don't you? Here is a pagan king. 
that says, you know what? Who of you in my kingdom would be willing, who God is with him, would be willing to go back to Jerusalem and build the temple for this great God? Now, I think we would fall over if our government came to us and said, hey, here's some millions of dollars for you. Come and build schools and churches. We want by decree every Sunday, everybody will stop work and they've got to be in church. Now, we would fall over, wouldn't we? And we think, like, how could that happen? Like, that's beyond our imagination. But here is a king who makes a decree and says, you know, those of you who want to go back, you can go back. I'm releasing you. In fact, uh, uh, he, he commands it and, and puts it in writing as a decree that they would go back and do this task. You know, as you read through the book of Ezra, Ezra has a, a list of those who went back and, and has them by tribe and, and he numbers them. Do you know, out of all the people that made it to Babylon, only 49,627 put their hand up and said, I'll go back. Now, you say, well, thank God and praise God for those who did go back. Amen. I'd say thank God for those who did go back. Those who obeyed the voice of God, those who were concerned about uh, rebuilding the temple, about the name of God, about proclaiming God, about worshipping Him in the right way. I'm grateful for people who make that choice. I hope you are grateful too. You know, sometimes what happens uh, when somebody volunteers, uh, what we do rather than encouraging, you you know what we do? Who does he think he is? Like, does he really think that he's going to go into the ministry? And that rather than encouraging, what do we do? We cut it at the knees because we're good at that as Aussies, aren't we? It's that tall poppy syndrome. You know, if somebody gets up, somebody wants to do something, ah, we knock it at the knees because we don't want to see anybody succeed. But 49,000 people end up going back to Judah to rebuild this temple. Now, I wonder what happened to the other one million whatever the number is, why did they not choose to go? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, you're in captivity. You came here and, and you built a life. And now it's time, the government is telling you, you can go back. Nobody's pressuring you, but you can go back. Why is it that many of them could not make that choice? Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about why would many of them be more comfortable living in Babylon rather than going back to their home country? Have you thought about that? Well, life was just too good in Babylon. Life was really good. I mean, they had the best of the best. I mean, you think about it, that was the focus of the world at that time. The best technology, the, the, anything that you wanted was there. Uh, any kind of food you wanted, you just, you just found it and you ate it. And it's just like being in Sydney. <laughs> you know, we're still kind of trying to learn some things here in Brisbane. But they had everything that they wanted. Does that sound like how we live in Australia? Come on, come on. Does that sound like how we live here in this great country of Australia? You see, when God calls a person or when God stirs your heart to to go and and do something for the Lord, you you know what we're thinking the first thing? What is this going to cost me? What what, what does that mean for my home, my wife, my children? Are we going to uproot? What if we go and nobody takes care of us? 
you know, we're worried about what will happen because we can't trust God in delivering us and helping us, but we certainly can trust ourselves and our own ability. So really, what kind of Christians are we? Come on, what kind of Christians are we? If we're only depending upon our own hand and our own arm to deliver us and to supply for us, well, where is this great God whom we love? Where is he? Yes, it's easy to speak one thing and it's another to live it out. You can be sitting here in church and say, praise Jesus, praise the Lord. I agree, amen, amen. But go live that way. That's another story. That's another story. Here we have the children of Israel in captivity, in exile, living far away from their land. Uh, they, uh, God, uh, God uh, uh, intended for them to dwell in their land and, and he would be in their midst and, and they would come regularly to the temple and they would sacrifice and they would be worshipping him in that place. In fact, when you read the book of Daniel, Daniel prayed three times. Which way did he pray? Towards where? Towards Jerusalem. And they had every, and they knew what God, where, 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 they, where they needed to be, where the presence of God is, where they would worship him. They knew all of that, but you know what they were comfortable with? They were comfortable living in Babylon. Man, I, I've spent 30 years working this ground. But I, I, I get beautiful fruit. I mean, the, the soil is so fertile. It's not rugged like how it is in Judah. I mean, it's a fertile ground. I, I, I'm being prosperous. God has prospered me. How can I let this go? And so they had a challenge with their prosperity. It was a challenge for them to leave that behind and go start all over again. I don't know about you, but it's very hard to start all over again. In 1977, My family moved out of a war-torn country, Beirut, and we came to Australia, and we didn't know the language well, we didn't know the system well, we didn't, and it was all starting from scratch again. I remember my first day at school, uh, I was uh, French educated, uh, uh, so being a nine-year-old boy there in the playground uh, of a morning, first day of school being there, and all these kids gathering around me and asking me, what is your name? And I had no idea what they were saying. It's very difficult to start again. It's very difficult to make a break. But you know, if we believe God, that is he who commanded us to go out, then he, it is he who will give us the power and the deliverance to do what he has asked us to do. When I read my Bible, I find that God intends for his church to go out. He didn't intend it for you and me just to gather and stay gathered. You come to church to be encouraged, but then to go out. Go. You remember the Lord when he sent his disciples out? He didn't say, well, you fellas, you've been good with me for 12 years. You've learned a lot. Well done, well done. Uh, What I want you to do is stay together, keep the faith, hold it together, and uh, till I return. No, he didn't say that. He said, go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel. Go ye into all the world. You see, the Great Commission is not just preaching. It said to preach and then to baptize 
I'm grateful to hear that we have a baptism this morning. That encourages me. I hope it encourages you. Baptize. And then to disciples, teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always. God will give you his omnipotent power when you obey and you just go out. Go out. You know, in fact, the early church in Jerusalem, uh, you know, they were just uh, so happy about being together and, and you know, 3,000 people were added and daily people were getting saved and, and this church was just growing and all they wondered, all they thought about it was this church and staying together until God had to bring a, a Roman general by the name of Titus who brought persecution and demolished the temple at that time. And you know what happened to Christians then? They scattered what God commanded them to go and do, they thought, no, it's safer if we stay together. God had to use, again, another Roman power to disperse Christians all over the face of the world and take the gospel message with them. What are you doing with the gospel message? You know, God asked his people to go back to build a temple for his glory and that they would worship and bring the eyes of the people back to God. I wonder what our ministry is. What God has called you and I to do. I don't read in Scripture that He's called us just to accumulate things here on earth. I know if, if you found it, can you come and share it with me? Because that will help me greatly. Because that's what my flesh wants. But God wants us to think about eternal things that matter, not the temporal things. For the things that we see are temporal. But the things that are unseen are eternal. I wonder, what do you see? What are you living for? What's your calling? Have you gone out? Have you seen the things that matter? Are you seeing things that are eternal? Or your eyes are only focused on the temporal? Cyrus said, those of you who can go, I want you to go. Have you gone? Have you gone across the street? I'm not asking you to go across the world yet. Have you gone across the street? The people that you live with, your neighborhood, have you ever taken the time to just maybe share the gospel with them? Listen, we find it so easy to stand and speak with our neighbor over the fence about, oh, what a beautiful day it is. Isn't it stinking hot in this place? Uh, Look at the humidity. It feels like it's 40 when it's only 36. And, you know, we can make all these comments and we, yeah, it's a good day for laundry. Hang my laundry outside. You, you can make conversation about everything, about sport, about uh, anything that you want. But, you know, when it comes to speaking about the Lord, something happens and our tongue gets stuck to the roof of our mouth and we can't even bring the word out. Do, 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 do you know what, 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 what I have to tell you today? <laughs> 49,000 believed the promise of God. And I went back. They understood the prophecy of Jeremiah. And they said it was time. And we're going to go back and we're going to do what God has asked us to do. I think if we're going to do anything great for God here, it's going to take that one step. It's just that one step. You have to learn to take that first step. And once you take that first step, then you'll see God at work and he'll help you take the second step. But you've just got to learn to take that first step. You've got to believe God for his word and for his promise and take the first step. Believe God. 
Believe Him more than that voice that is in your head. Believe God more than what the world around you is telling you. Believe God for who He is and claim His promise and take that one step in that direction. He has asked us to be faithful witnesses to take the gospel. Such a, such a privilege. If you understand what Jesus paid for your salvation, you, if you really understood that and appreciated that, you'll say, Lord, it's not just that one step. I'll give you my whole life. Last year, I had the privilege of traveling to Egypt with Pastor Chapel. We had a conference there in Egypt and it was there I met this man. This man came from an Islamic country, but God did a work in his heart. And I was greatly moved by his testimony. And we had the opportunity of uh, getting that on tape, interviewing him. And uh, the church at Lancaster Baptist were able to um, uh, put this uh, documentary a little bit together. And I want to play it this morning for you. And then we will continue on that. I was a very fanatic follower of Islam. I spent much of my time at the mosque speaking against Christianity. Ahmed is not his real name, and this is not his face. He's from a Middle Eastern country that we will not name. Ahmed is one of the Christians who attended spiritual leadership conference in Egypt in the summer of 2022. While he was there, he met with Pastor Chapel and told him his story. It has been a joy to meet uh, the pastors from Syria, uh, from Ethiopia, various parts of Africa, people that are really serving God in difficult places. But Pastor Malin, uh, no story has gripped our hearts like the brother that's with us today. And we're going to withhold his name and you'll understand why in a moment. And uh, brother, thank you for coming and for being with us. Now, brother, how did you come to know Christ as your Savior? One day, as I was exiting the mosque, two German men came up to me and shook my hand. They introduced themselves and told me that they were businessmen visiting my province. And they told me they were Christians. Now I was defiled. I cleansed my hands and went to argue with them, to try to convince them to follow Muhammad. We talked together and one of them asked me three questions about Islam. They were questions I could not answer. Those questions shook me. I felt there was something missing in my heart. I prayed and fasted, but there is still something missing. Determined to shake the faith of these Christian German businessmen, Ahmed asked for a Bible so he could write down questions he had about their faith. For one week, I read the Bible, hours every day. And I wrote down 128 questions for them. So I called them and I said, hey, come over. I want to argue with you. I have questions for you. The German Christians came and patiently answered Ahmed's questions. They answered all 128 questions. After answering one of the questions, he asked me to pray. So we prayed together. He put his hand on my back and I started crying because he was praying for me, and I was his enemy. Ahmed called them to come back, and they did, several days in a row. 
After spending a few evenings talking with them, I surrendered my life to Jesus and started to serve the Lord. I started witnessing and bringing souls to Christ. Someone who Ahmed had witnessed to turned him into the authorities. Security forces arrested Ahmed, threw his wife and children into the streets, and took Ahmed to a detention facility. They began to interrogate me. They said, give us the names of those who are Christians like you. It was very difficult. I could not mention any of the names, because if I give one name and his faith is weak, he will speak about all the others, so I didn't say a word. To punish him for witnessing and for not cooperating, Ahmed faced intense torture. They would tie my hands and raise me to the ceiling and leave me for hours. My hands would turn black. They would torture me with electricity, with beatings. They would tie my feet and whip them so I could not walk. At one point, Ahmed was transferred to a room with 14 other prisoners. He began witnessing to these men and writing small portions of scripture for them. However, one of them reported him. They took me to another part of the prison, a room where they were holding about 20 members of ISIS. The guard brought me in and told them this man is a Christian and he was converting Muslims to Christianity. They took a blanket and covered me and started beating me. I was screaming and shouting until I could not breathe. They carried his unconscious body to a solitary cell, where guards assumed he would die from his injuries. My teeth were broken. I cannot hear from my right ear. My whole body was swollen. I prayed that God would let me leave this place. Weeks later in the spring of 2020, still seriously injured, Ahmed was released from prison. He fled to a different province with his wife and children. For his faith in Christ, Ahmed lost his printing business and was disowned and denied by his father. He began listening to podcasts from a Baptist missionary serving in Lebanon, who began to disciple him and help him with his medical and living expenses. We in America have a lot of freedom. We uh, have freedom to worship. But sometimes the Christians in America don't use their freedom to witness. Because they become embarrassed or lazy. Are you sure they are Christians? At the conference, Ahmed was offered the opportunity to stay in Egypt or another country where he might be more safe. But his commitment to reach the lost in his home country compelled him to refuse. I must witness. I cannot cease. How can I sit and see others dying and going to hell and do nothing? I must pull them out of the fire. I have that was a little bit sombering and sobering. And uh, when I met this man, I was really challenged for what he endured for the cause of Christ. And I sat there and I thought, I live in Australia. I don't have any of those challenges. What's my excuse? What's my excuse? 
here is a man that understood the preciousness of his salvation. And Islamic went and would testify and win others to Christ in an Islamic nation, understanding the threat, understanding that this would cost his life. In fact, he said to his wife, he said to her, are you okay with me doing this? Because it may mean one day they're going to kill me. That's how serious it was. When we ask him the question, well, what is it you have, we would say to Christians who are living in the West who, who've got their liberties, they can just go across the street and can give the gospel, what would you say to them if they don't do it? You know, he, he looked at a stranger, he goes, they can't be Christians. I mean, you, you can't be a Christian who understands the value of your salvation and just keep it all to yourself. He says, they cannot be real Christians. Uh, in his mind, uh, for you to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ and what he did and what he delivered you from, you can't keep it to yourself. They said to him, uh, well, how about if we helped you stay in Egypt? You know, we can give you some money. We can try to help you get a visa to stay here in your family so you escape persecution. He said this, he said, I can but I choose not to. Because if I did stay here, who would go tell my people about Christ? Let me ask you this question, church. If you don't go out, who's going to do it? But it? Let's be honest. If we as a church don't go out and minister the gospel to those around us that need it, who are we waiting for to do it? Who do you think is going to do it? I think God's given us an opportunity to rise up. God's given us the time as this. God placed you in that workplace for such a time as this. God has put you in that neighborhood for such a time as this. God wants to use you if you would just believe Him and step out. Who will go? That's what King Cyrus asked. Who will go? And I am familiar with the passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where God says, Whom will go for us? Whom will I send? What would be your response? What are you going to do with the call of God when he asks you to step out by faith? You know, Cyrus not only encouraged them and challenged them to go, but he said that those of you who will not go, well, maybe you can give. You can give towards them uh, that are going. Verse 4, And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering of, for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. I find that quite interesting. Okay, you don't, you're not going? Then why don't you start funding those who are going? Right? How about start funding those who volunteered and said, we will go back. And I find it amazing that they went as captives into Babylon, uh, having left everything behind, and now 70 years later, they've got silver, they've got gold, they've got beasts. God prospered them in those 70 years. You know, and, and I ask the question, why did God do that? Why did God fill their pockets with silver and gold and beasts and, and prosperity? Well, why did God do that? Do you ever ask yourself that question? 
I mean, I, I thought they were in captivity. How could they be so rich in captivity? You know what God was doing? He was filling their wallets, filling their pockets, so that one day they will use that to advance his cause. In fact, uh, what's interesting that uh, uh, Cyrus uh, also makes a decree and says, okay, all the treasures that, that Nebuchadnezzar brought out of the temple, and we have it in our treasury, uh, we're going to give that all back. Uh, we're going to send that down, and we're going to help them rebuild this temple. I find that amazing. But isn't God amazing? Have we stopped believing what an amazing God we have? But he said to them, if you don't go, how about you give of what God has prospered you? I want you to think this thought. Why has God entrusted me with what I have? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever thought about, why has God prospered me? Well, you say, Pastor, you don't know my affairs. I'm not really prosperous. I'm just making ends meet week in, week out. I don't know what you're talking about. That's never been in my life. Let me ask you something. Do you have a warm bed? Do you have clothes on your back? Do you live in a shelter somewhere? You see, there's 90% of the world population that does not enjoy what you are enjoying right now. You know, I think each one of us can do something. The Bible teaches us that we all should give according as God has prospered us. I'm glad it's not a subscription fee, aren't you? I'm glad God didn't say, well, your subscription is up. Yeah, you need to pay it. Hey, it's not a subscription. It is according to your measure of faith you ought to give. How much are you willing to believe God? How much are you willing to sacrifice? Say, you know what? I believe God can truly help me and he will provide for me. You know, in the day that we live in today in Australia, besides, you know, trusting God when we get sick, right? Because that's when we get really spiritual, don't we? I mean, that's when we're, we're praying often. That's when we're asking the church to pray because we are facing some, uh, it's just a great mountain, some great uh, 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 trial in our life. We need every single person to help us pray. But do you know your finances, week in, week out, is the greatest thing that you can learn to grow in faith and trust God for? Sometimes we honor the Lord with our leftover. Okay, so I've got to pay this, pay that, do this, do that, we've got this, we've got that, and then I've got, okay, we'll, we'll give God some of this. Well, if you do that, really he is not the God that, whom you honor. The God whom you worship is not a God who is worshipped by our leftovers. If he's truly God, you need to honor him with what God gave you, and he must be first. He must be first. Don't, don't play games. God knows. Hey, you can fool your pastor. You can fool your church. You, you can show them, oh, what a great person you are. Uh, you know, uh, what you're giving. Uh, it, it could be all just a show. But God knows. God knows. I love the story when Jesus was sitting there near the treasury and uh, all the Pharisees bought their silver and their gold and they were just casting it into, uh, into the, those boxes uh, uh, at the temple. And he, he notices just a widow, the widow's mite. He notices that and says to his disciples, do you know that she gave more than what they all gave? She gave more than what they all gave. Why? She gave out of necessity. 
And she could have taken those, that, that, those pennies and she could have bought herself an extra meal. She could have bought herself another clothing. No, but she needed to honour the Lord with it. The greatest way you can tell whether someone truly loves God is by what they're willing to sacrifice. Come on. I know everybody's gone silent now. Don't go silent on me. The way you can tell whether someone really trusts God is by the way they sacrifice for him. Truly, let's be honest, we have become our own gods because we make ourselves the priority. See, uh, the question is not how much you've given to God. I want you to start thinking, for what God has given me this week, how much of it is I'm keeping for myself? Think about it. From what God has given me, how much of it am I keeping for myself? Cyrus said, uh, those of you who can't go back for one reason or another, we want you to help. Get involved. Give. I'm going to give out of the treasury, but I want you to also to give. I want you to give liberally. You know, the Lord wants us to give liberally, cheerfully. God loveth us. You know what that means? The word cheerful is being hilarious. Yes, it means, <laughs> yes, empty my wallet out, yes. You know, people have a problem with churches today because they think all church is about is money. But do you know any cause that is moving in this world needs to be funded? Think about it. Your sporting clubs, try running a sporting club like we run a church. We'll see how long that will last. It doesn't happen, does it? Try running an organization without funding. It doesn't happen, does it? And why is it that when we come to church endeavors where we're trying to serve the Lord and push the gospel out locally and abroad, we say, ah, the church wants my money. No, the church is not interested in your money. God wants your obedience to help push the gospel. Now, what are you getting involved in? What has God put in your hands and what are you doing with it? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with what God put in your hands? What are you going to do with it? Who is God in your life? What are you going to do with it? And so, here were people who gave, gave liberally. I want to encourage you to, this morning that the Lord wants us to think about eternal matters. There was a man in Luke chapter 12 that God prospered him. You know the story. His barns were full. His barns did not hold the, the crop that he had. You know what he said? You know, I think this is what I'll do. I will uh, knock down those barns, bigger, build, build bigger barns, and, and then I'll say to, my life, to, to myself, uh, you know, life, just enjoy it. Eat, drink, be merry. You have plenty to spend. And uh, just enjoy life. And what did God say to him? Thou? What do you call him? You fool. You're a fool. You're thinking you're going to accumulate, you're going to keep, you're going to store, you're going to have. It's all for me. You're a fool because today I'm going to have require your life from you. And who are these things left for? Who have they been left for? You see, the Lord taught us this very foundational statement. Where your treasure is, there will your... You can tell... You can tell by the life of a Christian 
where his heart is. You might try to mask it, you might try to pretend, but let me tell you, where you put your money is really where your heart is. It's fundamental. It's foundational. And so I want to encourage you today, as we close this morning, consider, consider what you would do. We, you have a missionary out of your own church, Pastor Shimish. If you can get that slide up, please, fellas. Uh, we're working in Thailand. We've worked to help with that ministry there. Your pastor's been involved and your church has been involved. Uh, but we're looking at this project, which, we are, which is under construction right now. We're not building the center as yet. That's a new auditorium, but that's not going to happen. But their greatest need right now is for classrooms to teach and for an administration building. Now, I'm asking you, consider it. Consider a project, consider something that is close to your heart over here as Good Shepherd. Why aren't we getting involved? Why can't we, why can't we say, Pastor, listen, God has burdened my heart and God has blessed me with so much. Would it be okay if I entered into that? I'm sure your pastor's not going to say no. But you know what it needs? It needs us to be willing. It needs us to recalibrate our thinking about what do we do with what's in our hands. There'd be other needs around. I wonder whether when we sit here, we hear about missionary needs, we say, well, bless God, I'm going to just pray for you. Oh, that's great. I'm glad you're praying. But if God has put something in your hands, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to communicate into that need? Are you going to help? Uh, that's what Paul wanted the, the church at Corinth to do. You know, the church at Corinth said, yeah, we're going to give. I mean, they were very affluent. And so Paul was so encouraged. He was telling all the churches about how great the Corinth church and how much they're going to give. And you know what? And you went by and they gave nothing. And so he writes to them and says, listen, please, I've been bragging about you. I've been telling everybody how great and how much you're going to give. Please, I want to send somebody ahead of time to make the collection so that when we come, we're not embarrassed. Would that be you? Would that be you? When the Lord comes and says, look how much I put in your hands, but you did nothing with it. You did nothing for me. You didn't help anybody out. You just used it for yourself. Will we be found ashamed when the Lord returns? Cyrus said, those who can go, come on, let's go. And Jesus is saying to the church today, can you go? Have you got the strength to go? Then go. Go. Go take that gospel message with you. Has God given you substance in your hands? Don't just consume it on yourself. Give. Give liberally. Give generously. God is a generous God who, was, who lavished over you. Why don't you learn to lavish over his work? Give. Give freely, give lovingly, give cheerfully. Don't begrudge God with what you're giving him. Give it to him and honour him. Because when you honour the Lord in what you give, it really shows whom you really love. Right? It shows whom you really love. If you allowed me to come and investigate your ledger of your life where you spend your money, you would be so open to do that, and I'm sure none of us would like that to happen to them. 
But I wonder if I was to audit your books, what will I see? If your pastor said, you know, part of the requirement of being in this church, I've got to see where you spend your time. Well, she doesn't, by the way. He doesn't do that. I wonder how many of us would stay in church. By God, nobody needs to know what I'm doing. But God does. God knows what's in your bank account. God knows where you're spending your money every week. God knows it. Listen, if you're afraid of pastor and you're not afraid of God who sees it, <laughs> there's a problem. <laughs> Would you agree? <laughs> there's a problem. Uh, we want to hide it from everybody, but God sees it all. And one day you're going to stand before Christ. And he's going to say, I gave you. I gave you this opportunity. I put you in that place. I gave you that job. I succeeded your business. I have given you every blessing. But what have you done for me? What have you done for me? Oh, what a day that's going to be. When Jesus we will see. And he look into his eyes. I can tell you none of us are going to stand with a story that will be justified. I pray that we can do all that we can today. All that you can do, do it today. Because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Do it today. Amen? Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God's word this morning. That we were... It's important, you know, when we hear God's word that we respond. Has God spoken to you today? Has the Lord challenged you about going? Hey, I'm not asking you to be a missionary yet, but if God has spoken to you today, mum, dad, if God has placed on your heart ministry, don't hold back. There's no greater thing in this world than to live and serve Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, the greatest, my greatest joys in life has not been the success of cracking a good business deal. It's been able to lead someone to Jesus Christ. And you can have and you can share in that today. Why don't we be standing at this time with our heads bowed and eyes closed? If God has spoken to you today as the music plays, I don't know what God has told you today. I don't know if God has placed the burden on your heart for something. Why not come and pray? Would you go? Would you come and say to the Lord, Lord, I make a promise to you today that I am going to do everything I can to be able to share the gospel with someone. Lord, uh, give me at least a soul, one person that I can reach with the gospel. Pray. Come and pray to that end. Lord, give me one person. Come. Ask God. Would you give me one person, just at least one person that I can lead to Christ? You know, many of us would journey a life and we've never led one soul to Jesus. I wonder who you're taking to heaven with you. Who are you going to introduce to the Lord and say, Lord, this is the fruit of my life. This is the fruit of my ministry. We would go with life with not reaching one. But would you today say, God, you've convicted my heart. I need to go. I need to reach someone. Lord, just at least one. At least one this year. Would you give me just at least one soul this year? 
Would you pray to that endeavor this morning? Maybe the Lord has blessed you and it's time for you to give and to give liberally to the Lord. Uh, helping the ministry locally and helping the ministry abroad, missions abroad, helping to fund the advancement of the gospel. And you say, I want to have part of that. I don't want to just give my money just a, a monthly amount and, uh, and just forget about it. I've done my commitment. No, I, I want to be serious in how I help missions across the world. Maybe it's time for some of us to give our businesses over to the Lord. Come and pray. Say, Lord, what I have is all yours. Maybe we need to trust God with that and say, Lord, I want to honor you with what I have. Maybe some of us need to do that. Some of us have got these, these cards, these mission cards that we've been handed out today. Take seriously what you're going to put on there. Pray and fast and believe God can and he will. Don't just think about oh, what I can afford. No, no, be lavish and say, Lord, I trust you for what I'm going to put down on this, on this card. And then trust the Lord and seek his face. And he's able to provide for you. Lord, uh, you know the hearts of your people today. Lord, you know each one of us through and through. You know where we're at. You know the measure of our faith. Lord, I pray that you begin a good work in the life of every person here, those joining us online also. God, that we would relinquish worldliness and uh, go for Christ-likeness. May you transform our thinking of the things that are measured in the world to the things that are measured in heaven. Lord, may we look to those things that are eternal and not be just focused on the things that are temporal. Lord, I ask you to do this great work in each one of us, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, we cast ourselves upon you. We cast ourselves uh, upon your great mercy. We pray that you'd forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for our doubt. Forgive us, Lord, for our faithlessness. Forgive us, Lord, for not honouring you with our time, with our resources, with our money, with all that you've given us. Lord, would you please have mercy upon us today? Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would stir the heart of every individual today, that we believe you and we will take the gospel message and we will give liberally to the cause of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you may have your good pleasure in us and through us. And Lord, we pray for our great country of Australia. Lord, the need is all around us. Lord, wherever we go, we see people who need the gospel. Would you burden us, Lord? Would you elevate our eyes and, and that we would see things the way you see them? Would you cause a revival in our own hearts? Pray, Lord, that we would set aside every sin every weight that easily besetting us. Lord, life can be filled with many activities and many things that will stress us. But Lord, those things are only temporal. They're not going to last for eternity. Lord, would you help us to see things through your lens and begin to live for things that matter for eternity. 
And may we, Lord, treasure things in heaven. And our thinking would be about heaven. And our life's motive will be heaven. Because our citizenship is in heaven. So, Lord, we ask you to do your good pleasure in us. And in this church, Lord, we honor you, we love you, and we thank you this morning for your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.